Hey, welcome to the 118th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And on this episode, we are doing another Matt and Oren episode. We just have so much to catch up on. We have a lot of questions from listeners that we really wanted to address. And we thought, hey, let's do a whole episode where it's just our voices. You just guys Q and love an it. Just Q and an A-N. So uh, if you wrote us a question in the recent past, this is the day that we probably are answering it. So strap in. It's a lot of great questions. We're covering topics like um, web series versus short film, uh, what to do if you're sending, spending a summer in Los Angeles, how to promote yourself at film festivals, all sorts of great stuff. But before we talk about that, this episode was brought to you by our patrons, Jordan, Matt, Evelyn, Dempsey, Ryan, Jonathan, David, Artemis, Luke, Nathan, and Nathan. Look at that. What a great list of people. We have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash justshootitpod, you can uh, contribute to the show, and uh, it helps us grow. It helps us pay our editors, which is the main thing, because they do a lot of hard work, and it's thankless, and we really appreciate it. So we're going to keep the show for free, like we always do, but we're trying to figure out some cool incentives that'll kind of Stay within the spirit of the show, keeping things free, keeping things all access for all people, but also still giving people who um, are throwing in a little bit of cash something special. So stay tuned for that and more live events, which is the other thing that we're working on. We got some cool stuff in the works. Can't wait to talk about it. Let's say, it, let's vow right now that we're going to have another live event before school starts. Oh, definitely. Before September. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. That, there's only two months left, so we better. Producer get on Madeline it. is like, "Oh no, yeah, um, we keep we're promising gonna make it people happen. things that yeah. are impossible." <laughs> um, we're gonna make it happen. Cool. Well, thank thank you to our patrons. Uh, before we get into the listener questions, I was curious, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Uh, yeah, so I had a great day in Beverly Hills. Actually, I am in the process of uh, finding a new lawyer. So I hope that he, my current one, doesn't <laughs> listen to the show. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he does. Me too. Um, but just in case, he was really great. But also, I think we're just kind of diverging paths a little bit. Um, and so I did a different version of the water bottle tour today where I um, I went around to all the fancy uh, law firms. It's just two. You know, it's kind of like going to an agency or a manager or something like that, but um, they're lawyers instead. But, you know, I didn't realize this until I had a lawyer, that entertainment lawyers represent you in the same way that agents do, in that they have a roster, they have clients, and they're on retainer. So you're not paying them an hourly, typically. Sometimes people will do that. If you're, you're like, making a, a feature or something like that, you'll have to have a different sort of lawyer who that you pay by the hour. But for the most part, they are doing the work of negotiating your deals and as a result when you're a younger client a newer client they know that you're not going to be bringing in the big bucks the way some other more senior clients are or experienced clients are um, but so it's kind of a, an investment in a person and so in the same way that you get an agent or a manager you have to have a, you know a, your lawyer is is a part of your team quote unquote yeah i mean i i think a lot of our listeners will be like will think that the lawyer is probably the last person that you would need. And you probably only need them if you are negotiating some contract, right? Yeah, that that's what it feels like. But, you know, it's funny, um, depending on the way that your team is comprised and the personalities therein, 
some uh, agents and managers are really good at deals and really capable of kind of figuring out all of the different aspects of a career and of of a deal memo and can kind of really like hash things out and then pass it off to a lawyer and the lawyer can kind of just button everything up. Those uh, agents and managers, t- managers who are very good and thorough at that tend to have been lawyers once upon a time. There are also people who are very artsy fartsy and, you know, let the lawyer do the lion's share of the negotiating and work. And there's kind of part of the way that you figure out whether or not your team is right for each other is kind of in figuring out that aspect of it. So I met with, I, I know that there are some lawyers out there that will kind of, um, have a two-tiered system actually. So if you have a team, then they'll only take 5%, but if they are the sole negotiating party for you, if you don't have an agent and manager, they'll take a little bit more. They'll do like 10%, um, mm. which is an interesting thing that I hadn't heard before, but uh, but makes complete sense because like, you know, it's entertainment lawyers. So they're, they're not just lawyers, they're like Hollywood people. Right, and there's um, that's still less money. If you have an agent and, or like I have a manager and a lawyer, and so together they take fifteen percent, ten percent to the and manager, five percent to the lawyer, right? Yeah, yeah. Twenty-five percent of my checks are going to other people. It's hella cool. Um, yeah. So you gotta but, work extra hard to make less money so that you have to pay them less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The nice thing is that all of those people are certainly much better at negotiating than I am. I always joke. I'm like. I would do it for free. Um, and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> so in every instance where I've brought in um, a third party to do any sort of negotiation, they um, have paid for themselves. Yeah. Like I, mean, I know what that initial offer is and then they make things much better for me. It's also like pretty baller to have a lawyer. Man, I'll tell you what. I will admit I felt a little inferior. You know, like I think that it's been a while since I've been like, oh, am I a fraud? You know, like you're in these fancy places and everybody's like super duper smart, like they're great lawyers and also they're like like well dressed and like good looking and like slick and smart um, and really knowledgeable and passionate about the thing that you're passionate about. So it's like um, they're intimidating, cool people, you know, and then you're also in like the corner office and there's the fancy paintings on the wall and stuff. And it's just like, oh, I'm in Hollywood right now in a way that I hadn't been. They're not that great. <laughs> they're still lawyers. Great people today. Uh, yeah, they are still lawyers. Yeah, that's true. But um, but they're lawyers that go to Sun- Sundance every year or Just for Laughs or, you know, South By. Right. I think it's funny because uh, my wife's family, they're a bunch of lawyers, and most of her childhood friends became lawyers. So, like, we basically only know lawyers and entertainment people, um, but they are you're kind of more standard, like, lawyer lawyers. Right. And so to be around entertainment lawyers is a is just like a, a different experience. Yeah, basically. it's a lawyer that you actually have something to talk to about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As opposed to regular lawyers are like, yeah, you know, I'm doing workman's comp. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm preparing for a deposition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my lawyer actually got me my first manager's or my second manager's. Yeah, so they can do that. They can introduce you too. Yeah. But, like, just... Cut, cut into the chase. What do our listeners care to know about lawyers? Like, let's say Michaela just graduated film school. She moved to L.A. Uh, she wants to be a director. Does she need a lawyer? I think that Michaela, um, who's just moved to L.A. and 
wonders if she needs a lawyer. I think that the answer is like, like with an agent or manager, not until you need one. You know, I think that if you happen to have a, if you meet one at a party and you like, you hit it off and like, there's the opportunity to maybe do some business together. Sure. Like, you know, if it's a match made in heaven, go for it. But typically I didn't get my first entertainment lawyer until, um, my first show basically where like I, I needed one and then you kind of ask around and you get referred to someone basically. Right. But the thing that I didn't know then and I just kind of lucked into is that their relationships are part of the value that they bring. And so being at a represented at a company brings with it the introductions and things, you know, like with an agency. So like when you're picking who you're going to be repped by knowing their roster, which you can look up on IMDb pro just like you can any other um, agency or representative, but like, that's part of it, you know? So like I keep thinking of Maureen Barucha, you know, her break with uh, getting on Kimmel came through her lawyer. Right. Um, Certainly all of my other previous lawyers have been really great and had that, those connections as well and like when their clients are asking around they're asking their lawyers oh hey who um who's good for this style of job so if you're the only comedy person in a firm filled with you know csi showrunners then you know maybe that's great and maybe that's not such a good fit and so there's a little bit of that question in mark as well yeah so enough about how great lawyers are they are great. Let me they just, are, I think what sure. maybe our listeners might be asking, and this is something I've kind of come up with a, a lot and have gotten questions about a lot, is like, how big of a project, how oh, big does a project need in? to be for you to engage a lawyer? Because mm-hmm. I've had people email me like, hey, can you refer me to like an entertainment lawyer? I just got a deal to do this web series. And then I usually go like, well, so what's, <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what's the budget mm-hmm. of the web series? And if they say like $10,000, all in for that everything. One, I'm yeah. like, eh, I don't yeah. think you should talk. Like, I'm not going to refer you to my lawyer. He'll be mad at me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He'll <laughs> or, be like, why are you wasting my time? Yeah. Um, so yes. what's the threshold to the talk threshold, to a lawyer? To me, the threshold is when you have created something where um, it has value and the company has, the, a company has decided to purchase or license or option that right but what if the company says hey we're going to give you 10 grand to go make this these five three minute episodes of your show Mm -hmm. that's tricky that that is the perfect uh case where it it really comes down to how valuable you think that that ip actually is so for for instance you know i tend to not bring lawyers in on work for hire jobs so anything where i had been Uh, just kind of I'm a gun for hire no matter what the scale is I tend to not worry about it too much because like I know I'm not going to ever get a piece of the ownership the ownership like like for the perfect example is like those Ellen jobs I did those branded pieces I did for Ellen um it would it would be a waste of everyone's time for them to come through that 20 page document um when I know for sure the giant machine that is Ellen is just going to own everything Right. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be a waste of... It would be annoying for everyone. And then I'd owe them 10 or 5% on top of that. So um, it's it's totally different when you're the person creating all of that work, basically. Right. So if I had gone in and pitched some something, even if the sale was small, 
I think I would I would talk to them about it and I would be upfront and be like, listen, this is a small thing, blah, blah, blah. But their their whole job is to protect you from um, the fortunate future. So like if you're like, ah, I've got this great web series idea and then, you know, a couple years down the line, it becomes a giant phenomenon and they're not making that 5% off of like the huge thing that you made. Um, that's a mistake for everybody. You know, and that, and frankly, is counterintuitive to or counterproductive to the whole um, thing of developing clients. I think so, as a general rule, like with commercials, you would never really engage a lawyer, right? Uh, unless for some reason it's like based around something, an idea that you came up with, right? Uh, and you own. But yeah, to me, I like if my lawyer is going to make less than a thousand dollars off of a project, so. If the budget is under a thousand dollars, is five percent of what of twenty thousand dollars? Twenty thousand dollars, yeah. Um, yeah. So if if that's if I'm making less than that, then I'm probably not going to involve my lawyer unless it's like a shopping agreement or a pitch or something that I like really created and I'm trying to sell to a big network that has money, right? Or a big studio or a big company. But yeah, I think I don't know. I guess if you're working on the ten thousand dollar budget thing then i would say leave the lawyers out <laughs> right yeah pro- probably i think i think it's worth it to just uh talk to them about it real quick i you know, it's so tricky right, because right well, like, well no but if you don't have a lawyer if you have a lawyer sure you, right, can, right. you can tap them yeah for those I, I think it, it's that tricky thing of like you know of course everyone hopes that their uh web series idea is going to evolve into something that makes millions and millions of dollars and then you know they want to make sure that they're protected so it's a bit of a back and forth right i'm working with a friend on this project for well we're just kind of pitching it to crypt tv i don't know if you're familiar with them Mm -hmm. but they make these kind of super low budget like horror concept uh, Mm -hmm. series and videos and they accept submissions from the public so you can go to their website and you can type an idea and submit it to them and they're make you sign a zillion things saying that they basically own every single thing that you wrote and they're doing it to protect themselves because if you say oh it's a scary clown and then next week they put something out that's about a scary clown they don't want you to try to sue them because you think it's your idea uh and my friend and i that we're working on this thing together are like we would never show our lawyers this thing that we're signing because they would never in a million years approve it but <laughs> yeah but we would also never do anything right right if our lawyers like had to approve every single move we made yeah anyway okay enough about lawyers um oren tell me what have you been working on lately well just real quick i've been uh i'm pitching on another commercial campaign which mm-hmm. is fun it's gonna shoot out of la so you know our last can episode, you share with us where yeah it's supposed to shoot in Outside of Phoenix, it's for Nissan. It would be shoot at their test facility. I'm pitching on that. So that's, uh, you know, your regular thing. I kind of was thinking today about how all my commercial pitches are pretty much the same thing. I actually just sent Madeline some of my treatments. Um, oh. And uh, it's like, here's the concept. Here's the tone. Here's what I think about casting, performances, look, style, <laughs> camera work, visual effects, whatever. I basically like go down the call sheet and answer like how I would shoot every single part of it. Then I go into the specific scripts of the project. And I was wondering, like, is that is that going to get stale, like, in a few months? Like, when everyone is just, like, writing the same-looking treatments? Because I'm 
submitting it and two other directors are submitting their treatments and I don't know what even makes our treatments different from each other. We're probably all Googling the same Google images. I think that's why the the images that you pick are so important. Because everyone's kind of saying the same thing, right? It's like, we're going to pick the best actors and like the camera's going to look great. And here's how it's going to look great. And we're going to have a great time. But like those style choices, really showing people, not telling them, I think is is why. That's how those those treatments all stay so fresh. You know? Yeah, but I think everyone is, you know, when the agency gives you the scripts, a lot of times they give you images with them. So they're kind of already sending you on a tone. And this campaign is like a splinter campaign from like a bigger Nissan campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already know the tone. Like, I just feel like everyone is going to give the same thing. And so I'm trying to really stay simple and find like one concept that I really connect with from the creative. So this specific one is these kind of like really funny characters in um, these Nissans that are being tested, like in a test facility. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of all about the juxtaposition between these crazy characters and the science behind these vehicles. And I'm just trying to like make every page be about the juxtaposition. Like how can we make the performance support that? How can we make the visual support that? How can we make the pacing and the casting and all that stuff support the juxtaposition of this really, these really silly characters in this really serious setting? You know, and I'm, I think that's going to be my strategy for this treatment is like, here's one idea, like, you know, the juxtaposing really funny things with really serious things. And how do I like blow that out in every aspect of like the, f- the filmmaking, right? In terms of the locations, the casting, the colors, the, all the, everything. So we'll see. And I think, you know, I don't know, Jordan Brady would tell us like, it's one idea, you know, like that's what wins a commercial campaign. Yeah. So. Let's, we'll see. I think in the last campaign, the Comcast campaign, I got one of the reasons I got it is because the creative, like it didn't feel very cohesive. There were all these social spots and these kind of more TV style spots that felt so different from each other that I couldn't figure out how they work together that I just ended up writing two different treatments. And they said like <laughs> on the call, they're like, hey, we love that you separated these out into two separate things. Oh, cool. And then once I did the job, they told me we were actually trying to hire two different directors. And, oh, interesting. And we ended up finding you and because we were looking for someone that could that had that range. But, you know, we, we you never sure. want to say, like, I can do everything. But on yeah, this right. specific job, I got it because it was like a one stop solution for. And for sure, every characters. other director that was up against you on those spots probably has that range as well. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. There are the directors that really push themselves no, on comedy, really on lifestyle, really on beauty or yeah, effects yeah. or whatever. So, I yeah, that's true. Uh, like lifestyle versus comedy is a pretty hard jump to make. Yeah, and that that yeah. was exactly the jump that had to yeah. happen here. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I ran into one of the actors from my commercial at dinner today at the restaurant. Does that happen to you ever? Like you met someone in an audition, and then you see them somewhere in public, like in the real I- world. That doesn't happen too often, but I do remember just the other day, my wife was um, auditioning and telling me about it afterwards, and she was describing this person who was also an actor waiting to audition for a different role, and I was like, I know that guy, and like pulled up the spot and showed her, and I was like, it wasn't him, and it was a guy that I had cast before, and she was like, yes, so... 
Yeah, it is part of the interesting You're thing of there. living yeah. in LA. Yeah. I've like met, I've, I saw this actor at the Apple store and I was like, he, I really wanted to cast him, but the agency chose someone else for something else. And I was like, hey man, remember I auditioned you? And he's like, yeah, kind of. I go to a lot of auditions. I'm like, well, I really wanted to cast you, but the agency yeah. wanted someone else. He's like, okay, cool. Thanks, man. Dude, I... I was like, maybe I shouldn't have told him that. Maybe that was just I, weird. I um remember doing a spot like a year or two ago where they the one of the actors that came in is a barista at my coffee shop. Oh, that's awkward. Like, like so close. And there's only a handful of people who pour coffee there. And I'm there most of the time. Like I'm there like multiple days a week. And like a lot of our peers are there. Right now, and you have so, to go to a new coffee shop. Well, or I a was caster. like, I was like, wait a minute, you're my barista, and we talked about it for a minute, and then like, I want it was a guy, I wanted to cast him, and then the agency went a different direction, and I I never talked to him about it, and it was it's been awkward for like two years. You should that I was that was going to be my last question. I should have told him like that I wanted to cast. No, him. No, you should tell him next time you see him. Yeah, just say, hey, I was just talking to my. F- actor friends yesterday about this and they said that it's always better to know than to not know because <laughs> my ha- my wife is on this improv team and a lot of the people on her team like audition for me sometimes and they'll just right. ask me like hey what what's your feedback like why didn't i get the part and then i tell them and they're like thank you so much like you have no idea how valuable that is yeah totally. to know that i was close to know that this and you know, like so i don't know i, I try to tell actors if i see them mm-hmm. in public especially if they didn't get the part like hey this is you were great they ended up doing this but you know hopefully we'll see you again like i don't know i just i just don't like sad <laughs> actors so i try to make them happy um yeah totally so the other thing i have had did this past week uh real quick is i had a meeting someone had sent me a proof of concept well they had sent my manager a proof of concept and he sent it to me thought it was like a good fit for me maybe and uh, I am going to go pitch like a feature based on this concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like this is something that I feel like used to happen a lot where people would say like, hey, here's a book or here's a, some sort yeah, of what's your take idea. On this? Yeah, yeah, what's your take on it? They would meet with different directors and they'd be like, well, I, I picture it as a thriller and, and this and this and this. Have you ever done that? Have you ever pitched like your take, My take. on some, something? Um, I've only pitched takes on, um, like on a script, finished scripts. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think I've ever been like sent a book or a comic. You know, I had the chance to pitch a couple, you know what? I take it back. I will get the opportunity where someone will represent a library. So like oh, right. Warner Brothers is like, we own all the entire Hanna-Barbera library. Right or you Disney? Know, do you want to reinvent with Disney characters? Yeah, yeah. Just exactly. don't use their names. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it inevitably those lists are always like super cool, and then you're like, "What? James Bond is on this list?" And they're like, "Yeah, that one." That right. You can't touch James Bond or Star <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wars or Hannah Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Um. I've got a great Hannah Montana take though. Oh, cool! I actually shot a pilot presentation based on this guy that had all the rights to America's Funniest Home Videos. Vin de Bono. Um, and <laughs> sure, it, the yeah. premise was like this guy that worked for America's Funniest Home Videos and he'd like watched so many videos of people getting kicked in the nuts or whatever. Right. That every time like he kept connecting them to these different things in his life. So he would have his own personal experiences and he would kind of have flashbacks of videos he saw 
these crazy things. Mostly people get hit, getting hit in the nuts. Um, also, Bob Saget like kind of does funny voices. Yeah, or Tom head. Bergeron like, or whoever the current one. The street, oh no, what's gonna happen? <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, and so and we would cut to those things, but I don't know. It's it's always weird when you're like cut cutting to clips of like old stuff. Yeah, yeah that's pretty rough. Anyhow, well, so we'll see. I'm supposed to. I I have no idea what my take is. I've kind of I've had a bunch of ideas, and my manager's like, just treat it like a commercial, just like write a commercial treatment. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so That's like a thirty-page document. He's like, uh, no, just like write a few pages. Now, nah, man, I think uh, go for it, because I think when you say thirty-page document, he thinks thirty pages of text, which no one will read. Right. But um, like a super slick thirty-page. Yeah. Jack, that would just take me like, like have a sexy. Hey man, do you want a movie or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want. I want a movie, but I kind of want my movie more than yeah, yeah. my take on someone else's movie. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's it. Let's get to some listener questions. Love it. Let's get to it. Our first question is from Colette Robichaud. She writes. Hey, Matt Norin. I'm an aspiring filmmaker currently living in New York, and I'm wrapping up post on my first short film. Congrats. Uh, I'm really happy with how the short is coming together, and I have a script and a plan for another short, a semi-dystopian black comedy murder mystery that I want to shoot this August. So then she talks a little bit about how she's trying to make the most of this final year in New York. and She's got this really great idea for a movie that's kind of like Good Time meets Grimm Brothers. Um, That's going to be really cool. Uh, the thing is, is that it's really ambitious. And so uh, it doesn't really make sense to do something shorter than 15 minutes, which is what she's heard is kind of the sweet spot for a short film. Um, she could do it as a five episode digital series with five to 10 minute episodes. Um, but or she could condense it into a single short that would be longer than 30 minutes, basically. So she's trying to figure that out. Um, and she doesn't totally think that she has the resources to turn it into like a 75 minute feature and so her question is is from an audience and portfolio building standpoint do you think i would be better served making a five-part digital series or a single short film not knowing too much my instinct is to do the 15 minute short Um, because five episodes of a digital show i just can't think of any successful five episode digital show in history that has like kind of launched someone's career uh, any more oh, well, than like a 15 minute short what do you think uh, am i being crazy I mean, she's saying she wants to do the short should be longer than 15 minutes she said that the or she could condense it in the story into a single short film that's 30 minutes long right okay so that's the tricky part yeah yeah so if she if she could do it on in under 15 um then that would be the easy answer Right, but because it sounds like she really loves this concept and it does sound pretty cool, she's really at a crossroads. I will say the the obvious example of a of a short season um, web series that did do great is High Maintenance. High Maintenance first season was not very many episodes, but it was it must it was more than five episodes, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, really? It may, may, maybe it was six, but like they were short. It was like an early... And it's an anthology series, right? So they yeah, all kind of yeah, stand yeah. alone. Yeah, totally. It, you know, it's, it's a, it was a different time. It's hard to compare the, the difference thing, the yeah. differences. I guess yeah. to me, like, look, we've all had this problem where we're like, we want to make this short. And then 
you basically have an idea for a feature and you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to make a short out of it. And a short is just different than a feature film and it's different than a one hour pilot, right? Yeah. It, yeah. So you know what? I I figured it out. Here's my advice actually okay. for Colette. Um, Colette, I would say, because this sounds, this, this email makes it, me think that you are very passionate about this project and it sounds genuinely super cool. So first off, uh, kudos, go get it. It's going to be awesome. I think what you should do is write a awesome full-length feature version of this story and also have a nice, tight, proof-of-concept style short that is under 15 minutes, like a 10-minute slice of that story. Basically, pull a whiplash is what I'm suggesting that you do. Yeah, and so, she, she has a high concept that kind of requires her to shoot from October through May, right? Because mm -hmm. these seasons are going to be passing over the course of her short film. I actually think the shorter the film is, the more impressive The cooler is. it is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I think... So maybe yeah. you can pare down your story or b make it the setup or make it the kind of start at the end of what would be the second act in your feature or just or even find different characters that work mm -hmm. through that concept with a shorter story. Because that is a really cool concept. It's like boyhood, but based on seasons, right? Yeah. And with like a kind of cool fairy tale aspect to it as well. So yeah, I think I think you're right. Just I drown some darlings and really find that like really like 10 minute kick ass short. But then also be ready with the fully realized script so that when it becomes that Vimeo staff pick and it plays South by Southwest and everyone's like, oh my God, this is such a cool idea. I can't believe it. You're like, yeah, it is. Here's the feature screenplay. So uh, yeah, I feel, uh, Colette, let us know how it goes. Um, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see your movie. Next up, we have a voicemail from Alyssa Racine. I love the voicemails. Hi, guys. This is Alyssa Racine. I listened to your podcast. Um, my son is at film school, and he just moved to Los Angeles. So he just moved out there, and it's a summer schedule, and he's looking to kind of fill up his time because it's got um, – the schedule is kind of on a summer program, so it's a little loose. Uh, he's studying acting for film. So I didn't know. I listen to you guys all the time, and you have great suggestions. That's how I picked where he lived. So I was hoping maybe you had some ideas for maybe some kind of um, work he could get, like just, you know, working for free or anything like that. I would love to hear back from you. Thank you. Um, just to summarize, uh, Alyssa is asking, basically her son is out here in Los Angeles for, uh, the summer he's interning and, um, you know, doing the LA thing. And so he, uh, the, the general question is just like, how do you make the most of a summer in Los Angeles? Um, Oren, did, you didn't ever, you went to school at UCLA, so you never, um, had to do the summer programs or anything like that. No, but I mean, I moved to LA and, and. Tried to figure it out. It's kind of like right. the same thing. Kind of the same thing. I think there is a distinct difference, though, in that you know you're going to leave at the end of the summer when you're doing those uh, programs. I know Emerson is really good at doing that. Like they really ship people out and like are really good at placing people. Um, I know there's a lot of schools that are doing like the summer in LA programs, right? Um, which which I thoroughly recommend. I think it's a really cool thing for people. Yeah. Well, so my friend. 
Sarah is actually the alumni coordinator for Columbia College Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she is based in LA and she helps people find jobs and internships and free work. So uh, if Alyssa's son is in film school in LA, I highly recommend he, you know, con- you know, ask the film school what kind of work they can hook him up with. Um, yeah. I mean, I know he's studying acting for film, so it's a whole different ball game, you know, acting versus crew work, but it sounds like he sure. is just interested in getting on sets in any way possible. So, you know, I mean, we say this a million times every episode, but just like meet the people in your film school program and just go make stuff with them and you will meet other people, right? Like you'll end up hiring yeah. some crew people, you know, to work on your shorts and they will in turn hire you when they're working on something else. I just got so nostalgic at the thought of Alyssa's son, like spending a summer in Los Angeles and crewing around with a bunch of new friends. That's the summer of your life. That's like the best summer ever. Yeah. Um, and of course so, there's Mandy.com and productionjobs.com and Craigslist and yeah. all these places you can find jobs. Facebook. I, I would literally befriend all the people that you can at your film school on Facebook and write, Hey, you know, I'm looking for onset experience. If anyone needs a PA, let me know. I'm gonna um You're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say don't spam strangers because they go to the same film school as you. Well, not strangers, people in your class. Like you add them as yeah, friends yeah, yeah. You, and then you're no you yeah. don't send them a message, you post it on your own thing. Once you know someone, definitely like friend them. But yeah. Yeah, I would encourage you friend people once you've met them in real life. So my main thought actually is really lean into the the alumni association or the the people who are helping to create this environment for you, oftentimes they'll have mixers and panels and screenings and all that stuff. Go to all that stuff. Um, And that's where you will meet all of the people who are doing the exact same thing as you. And I think that'll be a really, that's your best shot at making like meaningful friendships. And then you can all go crew together and work on that stuff. So um, if you are a part of a program that doesn't have quite a robust of an in- infrastructure you know if your school is still kind of like emerging and deciding whether or not they want to be investing because it is a lot of work and a lot of resources to make a, a basically what's an abroad program um, in LA or do you have any suggestions for those people if you don't have a lot of peers out there yeah same exact suggestions we just gave Go to Craigslist, go to Mandy.com, go to La Poubelle on Franklin and <laughs> meet people, go to UCB. Oh, I think not. No, no, that's, your, that's old man advice. La Poubelle is for the people <laughs> who go to UCB people? who are in their 30s. Oh, I really? think birds, birds? Is, okay, go to birds is for when you're in 20s. Yeah, These are two bars, right, on either side of the UCB theater on Franklin. So I, I lived walking distance and we would go to UCB all the time that was like where our first new batch of friends were created my wife was in an improv team and so we would hang out and i would go to birds twice a week probably for like two or three years and i did not set foot in the other bar on the other side of the theater until i was 30 okay yeah it is a little (laughs) bit of a more mature vibe over there it is which you know now it's great um yeah um but i I will say Alyssa. I love that you listen to our podcast. Please tell your son to listen to our podcast. And for him to tell all of his friends. Yeah. And also, I think not to be too presumptuous or jerky, I think this is a thing that a lot of parents whose kids 
like want to go to LA to make it in the film business are worried about that they won't find a job that they've heard it's like so hard but like Mm -hmm. if you build a network and especially if you're not like looking to get rich immediately uh it's that's what you move to LA for your son will meet people especially if he's an actor um he will find his community and he'll get work it's really easy to get work especially if you're willing to work for free 100 percent. your kid is gonna do great Alyssa. your son is gonna be fine um it's not easy to book acting work necessarily that i i don't want to belittle oh, right right no the anxieties of like how hard it, how intimidating it's reasonable that it's intimidating you're not gonna get stranger things the day you get off the bus here but you can be in shorts you can make your own shorts you can do something yeah just be friendly pay attention and uh and be in the building basically that's really what it boils down to like that's the the other part of it it's just being around then opportunities just kind of come up and if you're game and smart and hardworking and pay attention then um people will notice i mean look part of the requirements of working in film in la is to meet people and socialize with them and if that's not your cup of tea then this might not be the business for you but if you enjoy collaborating and talking to people and being curious about things, you will meet people that have things going on. It's, and if, especially you're not trying to be on NBC, you know, Im- immediately or like in giant studio films. If you're just open to making things no matter what, then you will find things to make in L.A. Guaranteed. Go get it. Um, awesome. So the next question comes from Kevin. He's got a film uh, playing at a local film festival, Dances with Films, and he wanted to let us know, uh, A, that he's got a screening that uh, we have since missed, unfortunately, but congratulations anyway, Kevin. Um, And he was trying basically to figure out uh, other ways in which he could promote his film um, while it's at a Los Angeles Film Festival. Like, how can he kind of get the word out, basically, about his film? So... Um, you know, of course we're doing all of the standard things of like, you go ahead and you print up a couple posters, you've got your, your postcards ready, you've got your business cards, maybe you've, you know, sprung for something extra expensive and got like novelty sunglasses or like, you know, little toys or something that relates to your film. You know, you kind of got all of the merch and it's all over those tables at the, every film festival you've ever been to. And there's a a poster in every coffee shop. What else can Kevin be doing to make sure that uh, his movie makes as big a splash as possible? Well, first of all, he can email a podcast and ask a question about it, which is why we're going to plug his movie right now. It's called At the End of the Day, and his website is endofthedayfilm.com. So check it out if you want to see what kind of people listen to our podcast. So I do think, like, basically the reason we got this question is because Kevin was, like, emailing every person he could think of to invite them to the screening. And he, I I think the interesting question he asks is, like, is there a type of person that is helpful to have at your screening? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he called them influencers, but basically, like, either celebrities or people with, like, a big social reach that if they like your movie, can say something positive about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like Influencer 101. Uh, but have you found that method to be... Have you done that before? Have you tried to invite influential people to your screenings in order to create buzz? 
Yeah, so, you know, I have done a different version of it, um, but when I was doing Squaresville, we would stunt cast people, um, especially, like, fun, like, smaller roles where I knew it was just going to be, you know, an hour or two of somebody's time. Mystery Guitar Man is in Squaresville. Jimmy Wong is in Squaresville. trying to think of other people. Um, But, yeah, there were definitely, like, we would have kind of small roles basically given to people um, because it would be fun and, and right. But that's a totally different type. of. Um, But then the other thing we would do is we would, um, we would do videos where we would ask those other influencers to like submit questions basically. So we would cross promote those people. That's not exactly what Kevin's asking for, but like, the point is, is like, yeah, like there is kind of like a, a quid pro quo in terms of cross promoting people. The tricky thing is, is that like you need to basically be on equitable footing with the entity that you're engaging with in terms of um, that cross promotion. So if you are like, hey, we'll promote you guys and I've got 200 Twitter followers and somebody else has got a bazillion, unless they connect personally with your film in some way, they're probably not going to be um, falling over themselves to promote your film. Right. So there, there's a couple of things you can do, right? Like you can appeal to their, like either you know them personally, right? Or you have a friend who knows them personally, in which case like a little bit of Google stalking will get you there. Or you, you can do a good job of appealing to their causes, Right, so if your film is about a specific topic that you know is apropos or important to that influencer, that would be a thing that you could do as right. well. Like Kevin's movie is specific to LGBTQ homeless youth, right? Right, right. and so, and cri- kind of crossed with Christian, you know, religious people, and like right. where those worlds intersect. So basically, the question that Kevin or any filmmaker needs to ask himself is, um, who would like my movie? And then who do, so then that's your psychographic, that's your, your group, your potential fans. And then who do they like? Like who do those people watch on YouTube? Who do those people follow on Instagram? And then you've got a value offer to those people, to those influencers. You can say, hey, listen, I think your audience is really going to respond to my film. How can we work together? Right. Easier said said than done. That's like, you know, people make millions of dollars off of influencers promoting movies and things like that. So, you know, it's a it's a tough road to to follow. Yeah. But also even just getting way more specific to Kevin's question, which is like, who should I invite to my screening? I think like I mean, he invited us and we are not very famous or we are not necessarily big influencers but even for us it's like we have families we have things to do we have set like if we're not going to show up why is like logan paul going to go show up you know unless he's like best friends with this person um so i think what you're all the things you're saying is like let's see what we can do online or or offer things up to them to promote our movie that are very easy for them Mm -hmm. showing up to a screening is not very easy i had it when my feature premiered at afi which was like right in the heart of LA, very close to where a million actors live. Like I I was had just worked with Alison Brie at the time and I was like, hey, you should come to the screening. And I, you know, my friend Mo Mandel was on a TV show at the time and I was like, you, you should come. And all these people, my friend Carter was on a TV show and I was like, you guys should all come. And I was telling the PR people like, let's get photographers and let's get all this stuff. 
but it was like Wednesday at 7 p.m. or whatever. And they were sure. like, I can't make it. Sorry. And these were like my friends, you know, yeah, like yeah. people I'd worked with and I knew and I wasn't like cold emailing. So I think, you know, if personally, I think the screening is for you to just have like an awesome time and meet new people and like the amount of press and buzz you can build around your movie. It, there's better outlets than inviting specific people to your screen. You should invite everyone, but just don't expect anything. You know, don't, don't make that a major pillar of like your PR move to promote your project. That's my, my personal feeling from my personal experience. I could be totally wrong, but I've always had way more luck with social media influencers through social media, as opposed to like mm-hmm. trying to get them to physically be at a place. Yeah. I think Unless I'm paying you, them a ton of money. No, you sure. Sure. Fair enough. And even still, it's pretty hard. I would say like if Kevin had gotten, um, you know, someone famous to come to his screening, I think honestly, it would mostly help the festival that um, would then have a photo of that person in front of their step and repeat on their website forever. Yeah. Like, you know if, what I mean? Yeah. Like if I had the option of, so I, my movie was about, it had, was UFC related. If I could have uh, like a famous UFC fighter, like Ronda Rousey, come to my screening or tweet about the movie. If I had to choose one of them, I would choose the tweet, you know, a million times right, over. Right. Um, well, and I think also ideally Ronda Rousey is tweeting about your film with a link to iTunes or something like that. Like making it something right. where um, your potential fan base or your future fan base can also access your film um, is the other thing. So like only so many people can go to a screening of a film festival, right? They're limited by geography. They're limited by schedule. They're limited by total number of seats in the theater. And so um, I think you're right, Oren, of just like have a good time at the festival, invite your friends and family. Um, and look, if it's if it's a festival where their ability to amplify, say, your film or the stars, you know, their credibility, the credibility of the festival helps those people's careers. They're going to show up. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have to ask too hard for your star to show up to South by Southwest. And that's because your star knows that being in a movie that's at South by is valuable to their career. So that that's where, again, that trade off of like it being you're on equitable footing then because you're giving them the credibility of this film festival to help um, promote themselves. Right. Cool. cool. Well, congrats on the movie. Yeah, way to go, Kevin. Um, cool. Well, let's uh, go on to our next question from Keith. He says, hey, I'm listening to your podcast as I drive from Chicago to L.A. Uh, I've oh, worked man. as a union prop set dresser in Chicago for 10 plus years, but want to work on my own writing and directing projects while I'm in L.A. What advice do you have as far as neighborhoods to move to and how to network with aspiring writers direct as and directors as opposed to the art department folks? Do you have uh, Keith? So... Congrats, Keith, on moving to L.A. Yeah. Um, and from Chicago, I feel like that's like, like you're already at a, in a great film town mm-hmm. of Chicago. And, and he's theater, in the union. Yeah. And you're, yeah. Though I think, I am sure I could be wrong about this, but I do believe it's separate unions in Chicago and L.A. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, I know New York and L.A. are different unions. Um, yeah. Interesting. I think well, you can transfer membership, but. Uh, at the very least, I think that on your resume will help you start booking work pretty quick yeah clearly you know what you're doing (laughs) being a union set dresser for 10 plus years 
So yeah, I mean, we my number one piece of advice is listen to our Moving to LA episode because we talk at length about which neighborhoods we think you should live in. And by the way, we have gotten some pushback from our friends in Marina del Rey. Oh, uh, that's funny. I couldn't hear them because they're 30 miles away. Sorry. Just kidding. Plenty of people live in Marina Boat. Um, no, Marina del Rey is beautiful. It's a little it's a little far away and not the most affordable <laughs> of neighborhoods. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, um, I will say, actually, now that I think of it, some of the most successful people I know live in Marina del Rey. Yeah, Marina del Rey you live in after you've kind of built your network. Yeah. And are trying to get a little bit of peace and quiet it, and beach. Yeah. Yeah, that's like when you want to take your kid to the beach, you live in Marina del Rey, when you're like, hey, let's all go split a Domino's pizza and um, go out drinking. That's when you live in Echo Park. Um, so yeah, to so listen up. to that for the neighborhoods. And then in terms of just, you know, networking with writers and directors, uh, you know, pretty much everyone you meet in LA is probably a writer and a director, uh, at least aspiring in some way. So I don't know, just talk to people. It's it's hard to, you know, when uh, Ulrich from Making Movies is Hard, you know, they're based in San Francisco, but he was here in L.A. and he met with us at the coffee shop and we knew like five random people at the coffee shop. It's like it's hard to realize like how easy it is to meet film people in L.A. until you've been in L.A. for a few weeks. So um, I'm not saying it's easy to make friends in L.A. because I find it actually very difficult because everyone's in their cars and driving. But if you, you know, hang out on sets and comedy schools and all that stuff, you will, you'll meet writers and directors very quickly. I, I actually think it's easier to find writers and directors than it is to find art department people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, Oren, because I, I realized every once in a while, like Chrissy and I will have people over, we'll do like a, like a freelance Friday sort of thing, like a little bit of like an impromptu mixer for our freelancing friends. Um, and I realized, I looked around the room and I was like, oh, all of these people are like um, writer directors. Like most of the people <laughs> we associate with are writers and directors, right? And I was like, it used to be that I would know a ton of performers. And um, I miss associating with actors. Like it's also really fun to like know them and to know their side of the um, world and to cast them in things, you know? Um, so I want to start associating with other parts of the industry industry more actively. Do you have any advice for me? How do I, how do I hang out with more actors? Well, I think I, I came by your party um, and there were some DPs and producers that I saw there. Sure, that's true. Uh, even a sound person or two. Mm-hmm. So I think you have the crew kind of worked out i i have the same thing with actors i used to be when i was much younger and first moved to la like and i wanted to make a short film or a test video or whatever i would literally just be like hey can someone come stand in front of my camera and there would be like 10 people around that would do it and nowadays when i'm trying to do like i just did a test for this comcast job and i literally had to like call people and ask for favors and book people and schedule stuff and get actors to come to my house and it was like a lot of work and they were like doing me a favor, you know? Um, even my wife was like doing me a favor and she lives here, um, to be in this video. So yeah, I I think, I don't know that I'm just thinking out loud here, but 
acting is really hard to sustain because you are mm-hmm. waiting for other people to hire you. Sure. Almost yeah. always. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of actors, they either get a big break and make a lot of money and get on a big TV show, <laughs> uh, or they start diversifying and become producers or writers mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, wh- whatever else they want to do. They start become directing their own stuff. And so I think at our age, like a lot of the people that we moved here and built our network out here with actors have either left They've LA either gone home or now they're producers. Or changed yeah. careers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Or have become really successful and aren't coming to Freelance Fridays. Um, All well, right. Cool. Final question came in right under the wire. Uh, my boy Gary, he was an AC on a series I just did. Uh, started listening to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Um, he has a question about, um, he's got a friend who's a great DP, and he wants to know when is the right time for a DP to get an agent, and how does it uh, help you out, basically? Um, and and also, do you need um, a bunch of big, notable projects before you should go uh, talk to an agent? Um, which is a great question. Yeah, and a great question, which I think we should say we're not like the most qualified to answer. That's because true. Because we yeah. are not DPs with agents, but we know a lot of DPs with agents. Correct. So we correct. will do our best. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm really racking my brain because I can think of a handful of DPs who have agents and have done big things, and then I can think of a lot of DPs that don't have an agent and have done who work plenty. Well, let me ask um, you this, Matt. Mm-hmm. Have you ever hired a DP through an agency? Like called an agency, said, hey, we need a DP that does cars or whatever. I, I absolutely have not. Uh, however, I think that that speaks more to my level of, like, I, I think once you're into, like, studio world a little bit more, I think that that becomes a bigger um, conversation. I think it's... But I, you know, we know a few DPs between the two of us that have shot some bigger studio films, right? Certainly, but I think that it's, I think when you, as a director, when you book your studio film, like even if you're like, yo, 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 uh, this person is incredible. Trust me, unless the person you're talking about is Rachel Morrison and you guys have shot a couple movies together or something like that, um, they, you have to do due diligence and look at other people and talk to other people. You right. I mean? for, yeah, for sure. You meet a few DPs. I don't know if that how much that has to do with them being having an agent. But Rachel Morrison, who shot Black Panther and Mudbound and Fruitvale Station and Sound of My Voice, like there's no way that she had the meeting on Black Panther without the director, Ryan Coogler, having it's right. not like he called up William Morris or whatever and said, I need a DP that would be good for this. And they recommended her. Yeah. Yeah. He directed Fru- Fruitvale Station. But the, so that's a great example of like I think like and I think uh, Ryan Johnson's DP who did uh, the latest Star Wars I think they went to school together but they had all shot a couple things together first so I think that um, I would definitely imagine a circumstance where um, I love a DP but they haven't done a Fruitvale Station or a Brick where it would be a lot harder to get sign off and that's when i think your william morris's step in and and um are like hey what about these people 
Yeah, but they wouldn't yeah. be with William Morris. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I, I yeah, have hired DPs. I have hired DPs through agencies before, and it's very much for specific things. Like, uh, I've not a project I did, but the company I work with, they were just looking for a DP that had a, a lot of toys on their reel and knew how to mm-hmm. light toys. I've done car stuff where they wanted a DP that had a ton of cars on their reel, and none of the DPs I usually worked with had enough slick-looking car stuff, so we went to an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and what's interesting is the below-the-line agents, they call them, right, the ones that d- represent DPs and production designers and editors and stuff, the, those agencies aren't always like the CAAs and the William Morrises, like ICM right. and Gersh and um, Paradigm. There's other agencies that are have a really strong reputation in representing those types of positions. But it is kind of the middle class of DPs, right? Like the non, mm-hmm. non-super famous DPs might have an agent that is is getting them work when a producer calls up this agent and is looking for a good DP. But... Yeah, I, I think like everything, probably 90% of the work any DP gets is from previous relationships. From a relationship, yeah. They have. And we yeah. just hired, you know, John, who we'd both worked with uh, on this last campaign, and he has an agent. And we went through the agent to negotiate his rate, I think, but we didn't mm-hmm. hire him because he had an agent. Right, right. Yeah, and even as you were talking about the scenario of like, oh, I need a DP who... um specializes specializes in something immediately i started thinking of all of the dps i know who have done those sorts of spots before right and the other dp i work with all the time just like i'll email him i'll be like hey send me dog stuff hey send me miniatures send me time lapse like Mm -hmm. because when i'm putting the crew together i need to show people that the dp i'm hiring has done this stuff before right but that's more about you selling him upstream more for their confidence like how often do you feel like on a job you have to get approvals on a DP? Well, I work with a lot of the same DPs a lot. So most jobs, there's a history there with the producers and everything. Mm-hmm. But if it was a new producer, I I feel like I am more excited about the DP or the production designer or the costume designer than other people. Like a lot of, yeah. you know, Bramley, who's been on our podcast before, Whenever she's on a job with me, I'll be like, hey, we got the costume designer from she's doing this show on Nickelodeon right now and this show on Netflix and she's going to do our commercial. You know, I'm like using that cachet as like a selling point to get people excited about what we're working on. Um, Very rare. There's just really specific things like cars very specifically need to be shot in a certain way because People think it's really easy to shoot cars, but they're really gigantic mirrors. Mm-hmm. So everything you put around the car makes a giant difference, right? And also uh, car brands have a ton of specifications on the manner in which you should shoot a car. So like what height, what angle, what lens you're using in certain circumstances. Yeah, what, um, what like angle the logos get, are. And yeah. they'll give you a special car that maybe doesn't have like a VIN number like in the dashboard right. or whatever. yeah. yeah. A lot of times, like, they don't have rear view mirrors because those typically are ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am um, on the, I did Buick and Ford uh, just recently. And you get, like, a big packet of, like, don't do this, do this. Um, yeah. On all My those. favorite is how cars, a lot of cars look sleek and fast and powerful from certain angles and kind of fat and squat <laughs> from other angles. Yeah. 
Yeah, or or they want to uh, imply a certain size even, like, oh, we don't want this to feel like it's bigger than it actually is because we're trying to market how sleek and small it is or how it's compact or whatever, you know. Anyway, so Gary, good questions. You know, um, I think the ultimate answer is that this DP unfortunately kind of needs to just hustle and like build relationships with directors who are going to get super famous and then um, move along with them. That's kind of the best ex- <laughs> advice is right. uh, like uh, go to school with Ryan Coogler. But and um, one other thing Gary says though is, is it he asks, is it naive to think that an agent would even look at your work if you don't have very known projects under your belt? And the answer to that is absolutely no. If you have an amazing looking reel of like all commercials in Spain or something that no one has ever seen or heard of, that's great. If you have beautiful looking shorts, but you know, it's the, it's a reel. Get, get a, give us two or three minutes of amazing shots. I will and say a celebrity the, or two would be nice. The flip side of that, though, is that, um, you know, there's only a handful of name brand DPs that are big, big, big time. And so there's a ton of DPs out there that have shot movies that you have heard of and like, um, and you're up against them. So that's, that is the tricky part is an agent can only sell you so well. And, um, you know, you are going to be up against the person who shot Baywatch or neighbors Two or whatever. And like those, that's not Roger Deakins. Um, but your competition is still going to have, um, some cool looking recognizable stuff on their reel so that that kind of helps determine how helpful they're going to be able to be um so i think that maybe aiming for commercials or music videos or things that can like create looks that pop more that can that are a little more eye-catching rather than like just shooting you know comedies where people are talking to each other it's a lot harder to like grab someone's attention even with like uh a Will Ferrell movie or something. Right. Yeah. I have a lot of tips on DP reels, but we'll save those for a different episode. Um, One last thing is the DP I just worked with. He uh, had just switched agencies and he said that with his first agency, he probably, probably like 5% of his work came through that agency and he had maybe like three or four meetings a year Mm -hmm. from them. Uh, And his new agency, he just likes way better. And he's has like two or three meetings like a month and he is getting like a job every month or two through the agency. So the agency, I think how long has he been with the agency, the new agency? Mm -hmm. I think like six months or something. Okay. Yeah. Cause I always, there is a little bit of a honeymoon period where like they're really hot on you and they're sending you out a bunch and then like things kind of cool off and mellow out a little bit. And that to me is always the indicator of how much work you're really going to be getting from a new part of your team. Yeah. So it sounds like sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, good luck with the agents. Yeah. Um, thanks, Gary. I hope you like your new job, buddy. And thanks for writing in. If you want to write in, if you have a question, you can always tweet at us. Uh, or the best way to do it so that we don't lose track is to email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com or our very favorite, drop us a voicemail like Elisa did. Uh, you can give us a call at 2626-SHOOT-1. That's 2626-SHOOT-1. The voicemails are really cool. I think it kind of gives people a better perspective of what you're out there looking for, and it kind of helps you connect with the community a little bit more. So um, we love all questions, but um, 
email and uh, the voicemail are the way to go. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up our episode, uh, let's do our final segment. Unpaid endorsements. All right. I finally have a good one. I can't believe it's taken me weeks um, to bring this up. Oren, did you see the uh, video on YouTube of the short film Tank? Tank? Tank. T-A-N-K. Tank. No. So it is a very cool short film um, that's done in the style of like vector graphics, kind of like old school arcade Oh, yes, I did see it. Right, yeah. So it's like you'll, as soon as you see an image, you'll be like, oh, right, those sorts of games. So there's like, uh, there was an old Star Wars game. I think the old Tron game is like this as well, where it's like um, shapes created out of like vector graphics. So just kind of... um, Lines. Dot, lines and, and dots, basically. Yeah, that kind of glow. And they have this really cool old, old-fashioned old sort of feel to them. Um, and the short is very good, but the um, BTS, which mm-hmm. kind of functions as like a VFX tutorial piece as well, is uh, a work of art unto itself that I really enjoyed and have watched a couple times. The film is by Stu Mockwitz. The BTS video, I I cannot recommend it enough. I think it just is a really wonderful insight into the creative process as informed by VFX. And it's just a different direction and a different creative process, but still totally relatable. I think there are a lot of like cool small tricks and tips that you can take from him. And then also just on a macro level, um, just seeing a person's approach that's so fundamentally different than mine, but still relatable, I think is awesome. So that's my endorsement. Yeah, it's awesome. And I fully support your endorsement for once. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, man, I got to get this in before Before Oren gets there. Yeah. Well, I have a weird endorsement. So there's this movie out in theaters now called Hereditary Mm -hmm. with Tony Collette. It's like a horror film. Check out the trailer. I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of it. I have not seen the movie. I'm not endorsing the movie. It looks but very scary. The visuals in the trailer were so ridiculous that I was like, who directed this movie? And it's this guy named Ari Aster, A-R-I-A-S-T-E-R. Uh, I didn't really know anything about him, but I just looked for his to see if he had a website, and he does. It's ari-aster.squarespace.com, great mm-hmm. URL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a trailer for Hereditary, and he has um, seven short films on there that he made. Oh, they are bonkers. One of them I'd actually seen before. It's called Basically, and it's with Rachel Rachel Brosnahan. And it's like, if you didn't know her before, she was, um, well, now she's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but she was on House of Cards as the prostitute Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. But she is like, if you had no idea who she was and you saw this short, you'd be like, I must cast this woman. It's like probably one of the best acting roles I've ever seen. And it's literally just her talking to camera um, about her life called basically but it around her house um but he he made this other short film called the strange thing about the johnsons it's one of the most like fucked up shorts i've seen ever it's really uncomfortable um but the way that he uses the camera to tell the story and move you around the scene is really really impressive you know when you're like oh you know what would be cool is if we do this shot where this character like picks up this box and then carries it over here and we follow the box with the camera and then we realize we're in a different mm-hmm. room like all those ideas you have and then you're on set and you're like ah shit this will never yeah, work just like a coverage yeah yeah let's just shoot a wide and then a close-up he pulls them off 
in like the most insane ways. He has another short called Munchausen that's like uh, has no dialogue about this mom that's like upset that her son's going off to college. And it's it's long. I think it's like five minutes or something. Um, for it's long for film. Oh no, it's sixteen minutes. <laughs> it's long for a film with no dialogue. Um, but the shot transitions are just mind blowing. Like I was would watch and I'd rewind it and I'd be like, wait, how did we get from this location to this location? I never saw a cut, but we're in the house and now we're in a college and um, just really quite impressive stuff. So I don't know. I spent a whole, you know, like hour on this guy's website, just watching all his shorts. Oh man. Well, Ari- I can't wait. Dash aster dot squarespace dot com. I, I'm curious what you think, Matt. I have a feeling you will not like him anymore because you don't like people that are that milk their tools that much sometimes. I don't know if that's true. I was more nervous that I'm too scared. Oh, no. I don't think you'll be scared. But we'll you know, see. but it's not something that you watch for 10 seconds. Like You need to invest yeah. some time in this website. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds great. Check awesome. It out. I'm sure his career needs zero help right now, but yeah, he's doing um, okay. it's nice to catch these people's websites before they like blow up, you know, and they delete all their like old stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I can't wait to check it out. Um, we'll have a link to all of that stuff in the show notes um, and you can follow us on all of the social media platforms uh, at this point at just shoot it pod. Uh, we're really working on our, our Instagram game, our Twitter game, Facebook, uh, trying to offer a little bit of something different in each of those places. So check them all out. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. And me at Smitey Pileg. And please leave us a review on iTunes if you can. It really helps the podcast. helps people find us. And this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. And our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. She's been here with us this whole time. Silently. She's so bored. Thanks, Madeline. <laughs> Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and uh, the music you're listening to as we speak is by uh, the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.